This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We work hard as physicians to take care of the health and well-being of our patients. But when it comes to our money, do we have the same condition of care? Probably, probably not. Let's change that together. Welcome to the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast, where we'll fight and advocate for your financial literacy. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. Thanks for being here. Let's jump into the show. This week's episode is sponsored by CityVest. CityVest has quickly become the most popular and best way for doctors to invest in top-performing real estate private equity funds that are usually reserved for institutional investors. This unique access to investing in these institutional funds is available for the first time ever through CityVest's easy and secure online investment platform. CityVest does the hard work of conducting due diligence and vetting the investments. They even get a third-party due diligence report that is posted on their website. As a result of aggregating a several million dollar investment amount into their access funds, CityVest gains access to investing in the institutional investment and is able to negotiate better investment terms such as a 12% preferred return. You can check them out at cityvest.com or go to the link in the show notes below. Welcome everybody to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Christopher Liu. And as you know, I talk about four different types of freedom, time, financial, location, emotional freedom. And the podcast started out as a cohort of physician guests and audience, and now the brand has expanded where I'm helping the masses. So hopefully both sides can benefit. And today we have a guest, Jonathan Green, and uh, he's actually describes himself as a tropical island entrepreneur, which is really interesting. But he's going to talk all about uh, digital marketing, um, how to grow your audience, and uh, it's going to be a fantastic discussion. So Jonathan, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I know we had connected on uh, PodMatch, and uh, what's interesting is, um, you know, especially today's uh, post-COVID digital age, uh, you know, social media, um, how to grow an audience, how to market and sell is really important. So tell us more about your story and your background, and we'll get started. Sure. When I was in my late 20s, I was in education. I thought I had my dream job at 29, and I got fired during a blizzard. I bought a new car, signed a new set apartment, got fired on Monday. And I realized that your boss has so much power over you. It's not just your income. It's where you live. It's your car. It's your ability to pay for food. If you have kids, it's your ability to send them to school. And I've seen this happen to friends of mine where they had these really big jobs at great corporations. And they went. My one of my friends went from a four-bedroom house to two $80,000 cars to a studio apartment where they were dealing with a black mold problem because they couldn't afford a clean apartment. And it's this power that our bosses have over us that I found terrifying. And so in that moment, I said, I never want someone to be able to do this to me again. So my entire business is a reaction to that moment. 
And over that journey, over the last 12 or 13 years, I've learned that it's that first step is the most important because there's all these things we don't realize are possible because so much of our education now is follow the rules, follow the rules, follow the rules. We don't realize that entrepreneurship is an option. I didn't realize it was an option until I was 30. So even knowing that it's an option and realizing even whether you're a doctor or working in any other profession, you can still do things to protect yourself. Because a lot of times, so many times people lose their jobs. It's not their fault. The company downsizes, the boss buys a company, makes a terrible investment decision, or they're really into private planes and all the money goes into that. And you see these really big companies, right? that have a billion dollar valuation one year and they're gone the next. And there's this constant thought that I'm protected because of my career, my expertise. And then it turns out you're not because most of the time when people lose their job, it's not their fault. So my entire career has really been built around that moment and help people to understand that even if you have your job and love your job, your career is your job and your career can be your business that you're growing. How can you get a raise? How can you improve your qualifications? How can you kind of protect yourself? But also what do you do when things change or when you get tired or burned out? And I know, especially for doctors, like it's such a hard profession. I have a lot of friends who went into that field and going through, you know, all the years of internship and stuff. And there's so much stress and it can be exhausting because doctor is a great job, but it's also a time for money job. So you have to work more hours if you want to make more money. And there's, again, that freedom to life ratio. So that's really the part that I'm passionate about. So that's where my career started in 2010. And since then, I started off creating products and writing books and blogging. And it just kind of grew from there into going to a lot of other directions online. But it all started with that moment of getting fired for my dream job. Hmm. That's really uh, interesting. Um I think uh, you know, 2020, everybody, well, you know, is a was a wake-up call. You know, the government can just shut down the economy just at a whim. So, and I think, you know, people are just waking up, you know, the great resignation. So um what's uh what one interesting thing is uh you had the you had the one what is the main reason new entrepreneurs fail to gain traction? There are kind of two things that happen. They're internal, external. I think the first thing that happens is distraction. There are so many different things you can do online that work. You can blog, you can podcast, you can start a YouTube channel, you can start a TikTok, you can start a Pinterest. They all work, but they don't all work at the same time. That's really what happens. People get excited. I see this in my customer base. People will buy a, t- a product and they go, I want to buy the next one. Like, did you finish the first one? So we don't finish the course. We get excited and we're in that excitement phase. And then the second problem is implementation. Most sales material, right? It says, oh, it's so easy. Starting a podcast is easy. Getting guests is easy. Growing traction is easy. And as you know, it's work. Because now that you have to record the episode, then you have to edit the episode, you have to add the before and the after, and maybe you have to clean up the music, and then you have to publish the episode, then you have to promote the episode. There's a lot more to it that sometimes we forget. So if we're not expecting it to be work, then it's really hard. Like I have my dream life. I live in a really wonderful house. I never thought I would live in a house this nice. Never, never, never. We live on a tropical island on the beach right behind you. I'm watching the sunset on the beach. I have like the perfect spot for me to have the great view, my dream. But I grind. I work seven days a week to pay for that because I have four kids going into private school. There's always new surprises. My wife gets sick or a kid gets sick. I need to be able to take care of that. That's my responsibility. But it comes from understanding. Like people go, why did you succeed when other people don't? I just put in the hours. And that's really important to understand is that there's very few things that work without work. And sure, working online compared to like any job where you have to stand up all day, like I couldn't do that. I couldn't be a roofer or a painter. I don't have that skill set. I have great respect for those jobs. I'm not able to do that. But 
it's the ability to put in the hours that separate those from see that don't don't. So unfortunately, people either their minds get distracted, they're trying lots of ideas, or they just don't sit down because they think it's going to be easy. It's like, oh, this is hard. I don't want to do it anymore. And then it's hard, but not as hard as a lot of other jobs. Doctor Doc is a personal lending solution designed by doctors for doctors. We understand that doctors' financial situations change faster than an insulin drip and ketoacidosis. And we also understand that doctors are the most reliable borrowers in the world. Through our proprietary algorithm, we're able to provide personal loans at great rates with amazing flexibility, because we take into account your schooling, your specialty, and where you are in the medical journey. Doctors come to us after they've matched into residency, and we loan for all sorts of personal reasons, from credit card debt consolidation to family expenses and medical bills. We speak with everyone who applies for a loan and offer fixed interest rates and flexible term options without prepayment penalties. If you're a physician looking for a personal loan, fill out our application form now. It only takes three minutes, and we'll get back to you with a decision within 24 hours. There's a lot of entrepreneurs, um, business owners, they're interested in this digital marketing realm. And uh, what advice would you give? For example, if they're interested in either um, TikTok, YouTube, a blog, Instagram, um, email marketing, what what advice would you give to help them narrow down and focus on um, which particular niche to settle on? Sure. So there's two parts to that. First is the niche. Second is the modality. So what topic should you focus on your business? And my approach is very um, methodical. What I say is you want to look for the triangle of peace, which is people, problem, and profit. Are there a lot of people who have a problem that they'll pay for and is there money in it? For example, there's a big niche in lap band surgery because they pay really big commissions because it's an expensive surgery. So you don't need a lot of customers. Whereas at the other end of the spectrum, if it's a very cheap product, like, oh, I help people buy their first, get their ears pierced, right? That costs $20. There's not a lot of money to go around. So you need a lot of customers. So the lower the price, the larger um, the number of people you need who buy it. And then the problem, it's about significance. So for example, um, I was in a car accident. I was hit by a drunk driver when I was 24, damaged my back. I was in back pain for many years. Any solution to the back pain, I'm, I would try, right? So when it's a pain has immediacy or significance, like the bigger or more front of mind the pain is, then it becomes something people will pay more for because it's a bigger solution. Kind of like people don't think about updating the resume until they get fired and suddenly they're very interested. It becomes top of mind. Um, it's something that I think Malcolm Gladwell talks about in Blink, calls it the REIS, Reticular Activation System, RAS, which is, oh, I'm mo if you're hungry, you're paying attention to food when they walk by, but if you're full, you don't pay attention. So sometimes things become your focus. So you want to look for a niche that way. And then you analyze it. What I always look for is, are there a lot of affiliate offers I can promote to see if there's money before I create my own offers? A lot of people go, I'm going to make my own coaching problem. I'm going to make my own course. I'm going to write my own copy. Then I'm going to drive traffic. That stuff is all hard. Those are different specialties. And it's much easier to go, okay, this funnel works. They have a sales page. They have a sequence. I'll send visitors from my TikTok, my YouTube, whatever. And if it works, right? I go, oh, this is they're interested in. So I have a really, I had a really great success with a personal development campaign, but people don't know for the first three weeks, the first thing I promoted, we made $0. The second thing, $5. The third thing, zero again. And my friend who was working on a project goes, this project is dead. These people will never buy anything. And I said, we have to find the right thing. So we need breadth of ideas. They eventually, the next product, we did $14,000 in sales the next week. So we went from five to 14. 
And a big part of it is, um, even if you and I were promoting the exact same course or exact same tools, different people would buy from each of us because we're different. We have different voices, different age, different approaches. And our, even if we have the same customers, they'll buy different things from each of us because they expect different things from us. So that's the first part is to go, let's look at it from those angles. And then I look at the, the second part is looking at it from, are there enough offers that I can test to see if this is a good idea to see, okay, this is what they want. This is what they don't want. So I like breadth. So if you look at your niches, you go, oh, there's only five affiliate offers in my niche. You go a little bit wider. For example, if you're looking at retirement niche, you want to help you prepare for retirement, you can just look at IRAs and investment funds and gold retirement and crypto retirement they have now and reverse insurance. But you can go wider and say, well, sometimes also older people want to build a secondary business. And so you can start looking at what are businesses that people can do even when they're older. You can blog in your 80s, no problem. So there's other things you can do to expand the niche. As far as choosing the modality, it's what is your circle of excellence? So I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, really brilliant marketer, and she said, wow, whatever you do, you always end up writing. I started off blogging. I went into create writing direct response books, writing my own books. I've written over 300 bestsellers for myself and clients under pen names. And now that I'm not writing books anymore, I've shifted back. I've written enough books. I'm, I'm done on that. I just, I started blogging and writing all this blog content and I'm writing like 20 to 30,000 words a week on my blog. She's like, you can't stop yourself from writing. And she's right. It is my thing. And I'm kind of go, oh, and that doesn't mean everyone should be a writer. That's what, no matter what happens, I always find a way to get back to writing. I love sitting in front of and typing. That's my thing. So there's everything works. You can build a YouTube channel. You can build a TikTok. I'm doing really well on TikTok right now, but here's the thing. TikTok, I have to write the script, film the video, edit it, upload it, choose the right sound. It's a process. I can't do that and also grow a YouTube channel. So you have to pick which thing you really can see yourself enjoying. Your audience is already spending time there and you see it as a business of scalability. So whenever, um, when I was choosing my social media plan last year, I said, let's try everything. So we tried all these social media channels and they all tanked, did terribly on Facebook, did terribly on Twitter, did terribly on Instagram. TikTok blew up. I go, okay, then we'll just stop the other ones and we'll just work on TikTok. I was trying to really grow a YouTube channel. To make a YouTube video takes me and my team about eight to 20 hours of work because we have to write the script, film it, edit it. it, has to be word for word. There's a lot of complexity to it to shoot a 20 minute video where I can write, edit and publish a, a TikTok in about 10 minutes and get way more views. So that's why I leaned into it. So part of it is what you want to do. And part of it is paying attention to what the market tells you. So if you are trying Facebook and Twitter and you get 90% of your customers from Twitter, even though you hate Twitter, guess what? You got to do Twitter. So that's kind of my approach to finding the right path for you. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is really, uh, really golden nuggets and wisdom. So the other thing is um, you, because you mentioned books, right? Books. And then um, what, why did you switch from selling to giving away books? What was the value proposition there? Yeah, I was, I've always been in competition with other authors. So I was spending at least $5,000 a month on ads on Amazon to break even. So Amazon ads, were really cheap when I started. Everyone found out about it and the prices just skyrocketed. Now they're more expensive than Facebook ads. So I can run a Facebook ad for less than Amazon. And people used to think that Facebook is the most expensive ad platform. So I was thinking about this. I go, I read science fiction. I wouldn't, this is, I write nonfiction, but I don't read it because it's work, right? So I read, if I read author A in science fiction, I'm still gonna read author B. And I think about all my friends who have books on their walls. Like, you know, the people who have like 20 dating books or 20 business books, they don't just buy one book from one author and lock into it. So I realized what I can do is create a circle of other authors whose books I like and who I like with their teachers. Hey guys, let's work together and raise each other up. 
So I started with that mindset of what if I switch from competition to cooperation? And instead of focusing so much on Amazon, and I got, I just started having trouble generating sales on Amazon at the same level. It's hard to maintain forever. I had been doing really well for four or five years. And I said, what if I just switch? Instead of selling my book, and I'm breaking even anyways, by the way, I'm not actually making money from the book. So I am giving it away. I just Amazon keeps the money. What if instead of charging the customer, I shift to a giveaway? Now, what's very interesting about books specifically is that books attract a particular type of person. Maybe you're the same as me in high school. I had the friends who would talk about how they hadn't read a book in two or three years. Those are the friends who didn't get very far in life. There's a depth. <laughs> I saw a depth correlation to that between the friends who were like, I don't read and you can't make me to the friends who are reading, like I always had a book with them. And I was one of those kids that was just a voracious reader. So I thought, you know what? It attracts a particular type of person. So people who don't have money and who don't want to build an online business, who don't work hard, they don't see a book as valuable. There's a pretty high correlation to people who see a book as valuable. Whether it's free or not, they don't want it. Because they, if someone doesn't like reading, you're handing them work. They go, no, I don't want, no, thanks for free homework. I don't want it, right? So it attracts a particular type of person most of the time. And there's a lot of studies on this um, recently that shows there's a really high correlation between high net worth individuals and how much they read books about improving themselves and improving their career. Most people who are making above $150,000 a year, they read two books a month, two books a month about improving themselves as a person or in their industry. Whereas people that are making below 60,000, it's like, I think 4% of them read books in their niche. So it's very interesting that correlation. I found that after I'd started my idea. So my idea was to shift. I'm giving away for free anyways. I know it's attracting the right people. I'd rather have a larger mailing list, a larger audience. So that was the shift in mindset. And I began cooperating with other authors saying, let me introduce my audience to you and your audience to me and let's see how it works. And it just really grew my business. It made a really big difference. And, and it removes the stress. Trying to sell things is hard. I don't like selling. I don't at all, right? I just don't like convincing, talking people into it. I'd much rather say, here's something really cool. It's free. Check it out. And then they read that person's book. And if they buy that person's course behind it, because the book was so good, that did all the work. I don't have to do that part. So I like to remove myself from that part of the equation as much as possible. So I can just focus on giving away things that I think are cool and then letting those people's business or funnel follow up because if the book isn't any good, then the person's not going to buy. So it kind of puts them in a really good position to make more informed decisions. And it keeps my audience from decreasing because I'm not always pushing an offer, offer, offer. Instead, I'm saying, hey, here's something cool. If you like it, check it out. If this book appeals to you, I think you should read it. If it doesn't, no problem because I'll have another free book next week. Yeah. There's uh I think it's the uh what you're describing is the freemium model. It's like, you know, put out a bunch of good free stuff and then the the better stuff like the more the most potent stuff is after that like the coaching or you know all of that so um the the other thing is uh so now like you know you talk about like marketing yourself finding your niche um you know freemium uh how can especially high ticket clients especially you know for example coaching or speaking engagements or masterminds how can someone find high ticket clients quickly you have to tell everyone. So I became a really highly paid ghostwriter and I've never advertised that. And what I find, I, I only meet other ghostwriters very rarely. There's not really a community for ghostwriters. I don't know why. I've met two in my entire career and that was in the later half of it, right? And so what I would do is tell everyone, um, I'm a really good writer. It's the first thing I do. You tell everyone you do it, tell everyone you're good at it. And then I would mimic David Duchovny from Californication because he was a writer and he was a little bit of a jerk. So you have to calibrate it. You don't want to go too far. But when you're a little bit cocky and a little bit, people go, well, he must be a really good writer because he's a little bit of a jerk. 
And I would say things like, oh, I don't really need clients right now. Unless it's really interesting, I don't take a project. Even when I'm like desperate for a project. <laughs> but I would project this like arrogant confidence that's very attractive. People go, wow, this person doesn't need me. Then It's like, you know, the, the one girl you want is the one who doesn't want you back. Or one guy you want is the one who doesn't want you back. There's something about that. So by rejecting, basically letting everyone know what I'm really good at and then resisting the temptation to let people know, hey, I'm two weeks late on the rent. I really need a job. Um, that is how I really grew. And I would just, just always put the word out there when I'm looking for a new project and people will find you if you, cause nobody else, not a lot of people know a ghostwriter. So every time someone needs a ghostwriter, then they go, Oh, I know their friend goes, Oh, I know Jonathan, you should talk to him. I, and so it's all referrals. But the thing about referrals is that nobody ever reads the samples. People always, every once in a while, someone's like, can you send me a sample of your writing? They never read it. Never. They never read it. And I know because I send them a sample of a biography I wrote about one of the first, um, for the son of a man. And he was one of the first African-American officers in the United States military in World War II. Really amazing story. And I'm like, there's no way if someone knew I wrote this story from the perspective of the son, they wouldn't ask about it. And no one ever asks about that. That was the hardest book I ever wrote. Massive amounts of research. I found pictures of his father he'd never seen before in a newspaper he'd never heard of. I found a picture of his parents' wedding announcement. I found a picture of his dad playing high school football. All these pictures he'd never seen before from like 50 years ago. I put in that effort. No one ever asks about that. So I know they're not reading it because you definitely would, right? It's yeah. like if, you're, if you gave someone a writing sample and you talked about like how you cheated to pass your medical exam and no one ever asked you about it, you're like, oh, they definitely didn't read it because they would ask. And it's, it's, I put that in there because I was like, no one's reading it. And that's very interesting. So only one out of 10 people even ask for a sample and they never read it because it's hard. So if you want to get high ticket clients, the very first step is you have to tell everyone in your network what you're doing and you have to say with confidence. Most people I know who are writers, they're not finding any work. They don't tell anyone. They're like, oh, I don't want anyone to know. I'm really shy. I don't want people to judge me. I'm like, yeah, that's not why you're getting clients. Most of your clients come from weird relationships. It's not the person you expect. It's not the book agent. It's a random person. I got a ton. I probably, I think I got maybe 50 or $60,000 worth of clients from someone I met in a bathroom at a conference. He was saying he was in the, he was in the stand-up urinal next to me. I don't even know why we started talking. We started talking. He's like, Oh, I do books and stuff too. And then he sent me maybe 10 clients over the next year. From a bathroom meeting. I didn't go to the bathroom going, I don't need a client in here. And you just never know. But that's why you tell everyone that that's your one thing. The mistake is if you go, I do, oh, I'm a blogger and a YouTuber and a podcaster. People go, well, I don't know which one. And they won't put you in a category. And so they won't tell anyone about you. But whatever your coaching expertise is, that's the easiest way to do it. Then you have to start putting it out there publicly. It should be in your LinkedIn profile, your Facebook profile, your Twitter profile. And then you figure out what's a way I can get in front of a lot of people possible. Right now, I think Twitter is the best thing. I'm mean, sorry, TikTok is the best thing because they'll show you, even if you have no existing audience, they'll show you your videos to people to see if they like it. Other platforms don't do that. It's why TikTok is dominating. Other platforms are trying to copy it, but they're not performing at the same level. The reason TikTok is so addictive is they show you what you like and nobody sees the same videos. Everyone sees different stuff. So that's really kind of the opportunity, but it's going to shift. The real important thing is to go, what's a platform where my audience spends time and where I can quickly get in front of them. When I first started out to get all my clients, I posted on Craigslist and I got, and I was living in Nashville, I was selling SEO services. And one of my clients went out of town to go win a Grammy. Like they were, he was really in a really famous band doing really, really well. And he found me on Craigslist. So it's often just going, well, where are people spending time? Where are people shopping? No one goes on Craigslist to research. They go there to shop. So I would posted a lot of ads and got a ton of clients. 
and this is 2010. So maybe it's changed since then, but that's the important thing is to go, where are people spending time? Where are people buyers? Where can I quickly get in front of a lot of people? Because building a blog or building a podcast can take months or years to build that audience. So you want a fast audience growth strategy as well. Something that's more proactive. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then now that you mentioned uh, TikTok, because, you know, TikTok, I think is offer or t- really the shorts, like the short attention stuff, um, TikTok, YouTube shorts, reels, um, that gives you the greatest bang for your buck and your time. So how do you go from uh, zero to 10K on TikTok in 30 days? Oh, that's really easy. Okay. You go through the first process to talk about, you figure out your niche, you figure out what your, who your audience is. Then you go on TikTok and you search for the hashtags that are that niche. If you're doing affiliate marketing or you're doing medical experiments, doesn't matter. You find the keyword and then you search that keyword and sort by popularity. You take the top 50 videos and you make your own version of them. You copy them as close to the original as you can. You make those 50 videos as your baseline. Publish those 50 videos over the next five days. So it's a couple hours of work because you have to shoot all the videos, but you have a script you can copy. You crank those videos out and whichever video gets the most views, you go, okay, that's me. And you make a bunch more like that. <laughs> so my TikTok, if you, if you look, it's a bunch of random videos and then one hits and then it's 50 that are just like it. So right now, all my videos are very, very similar to each other because if I post in that style, um, even a bad one will get 6,000 views and a good one will get six or 800,000 views. From, and they're almost exactly the same word for word. So it's not really a difference in performance. That's what you do to start really exploding fast. So it's look, copy work for other people, whichever one works the best for you, make a ton like it. That's their simplest formula. And you can get to 10,000 followers and start getting sales way, way faster than 30 days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you, once you like figure out the system and the strategy, it's like, it's like almost like, well, why didn't I know about this earlier? Um, Let's see here. So it's been a really fascinating discussion. I really love affiliate marketing, uh, content marketing, um, viral growth, growing your audience. Um, I know a lot of uh, entrepreneurs out there listening are interested in um, visiting you, contacting you, working with you. So how can they do that? Yeah, they can visit my website, servedomaster.com, where I give away several of my bestsellers for free and have tons and tons of content. It's got links to all my social channels, but that's where I spend the most time. And you can find out everything you want about me. If you Google Serve No Master, every single result is me. So don't worry, you can find me that way. Yeah. And for all the listeners out there, Jonathan's uh, links uh, and resources will be in the show notes. And so Jonathan, thanks so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. You're such an expert in this area and um Uh, We look forward to hearing about your success in the future. Thank you for having me. I'm excited that you made it for another episode. You are truly the best. If you've been following the show for a while, you know that my passion is to bring you the education you need to find your path to financial freedom. Please come back week after week for new content, new resources, and great guests. Until then, if you haven't already, please be sure to check out the website, www.drchrisluemdphd.com for more support. I'll see you next week.